Welcome to Behind the Axle. This is a podcast that will take a look at what is going on in the world of wheelchair rugby. We will take a look at the topics and issues that are of concern to the players, coaches, staffs, referees, and classifiers of our league from coast to coast. We hope that you will join me, Mike Klinowski, Dave Mengen, and Hall of Famer Chris Cook as we discuss what is going on in our great sport today. Hey folks, it's Mike Klinowski from Behind the Axle. I'm joined here by Chris Cook. Dave Mengen has left the country and will not be with us this evening. But we do have Steve Curley from Tier Texans, player extraordinaire, coach extraordinaire. We're really excited to have you on here, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Welcome aboard, Steve. Yes. Appreciate it, man. So we've got, we've got groups of people that, that kind of know you, really know you, and then – there's got to be like one or two people in the league that just don't know who you are. So how about you tell us uh, a little bit about how you got started in rugby and uh, the path of your career as you've gone along? Yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a long career. That's for sure. Uh, but a great one. And one, it's a journey that I'm, that I'm still on. So really proud of it. Um, so I broke my neck in 1988 I was a senior in high school, you know, typical jock, uh, senior guy, just kind of crazy. And we were out uh, racing cars and drinking, and uh, we ended up flipping a car. And I broke my neck in 88. And while I was in rehab, um, you know, I met a few other guys that had similar injuries. And uh, we heard about this sport called murderball. It was like... uh, the cool thing was, like in, in PT, you know, they would give us basketballs, and of course, we would try to shoot the baskets and make the baskets and wouldn't even come close. And it was like, well, I don't like basketballs in my future. And then we heard about this really cool sport for quads. And uh, so soon after uh, discharging, we actually formed the, the Houston team. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, it was myself, Alan Bailey, David Bynum, Bobby Richardson, um, some of the old schoolers, and and we literally formed the Houston team. And we just thought that we were, we thought we were the shit until we actually <laughs> played some legit teams that showed us that we weren't. You know, <laughs> yeah. So that, that was in 1990, man. Wow. It was in wow. Yeah. So you were there pretty I much at the ground team. floor there. What were you saying, Cookie? So, I have a question. Um, I totally remember that team. I actually started, well, the year you got hurt in 88 um, after having an injury in 80, and I was looking for a sport. But anyway, the bottom line is I remember meeting Dave Bynum. We called him Bullet right away because he was fast as hell. And I, I do remember, I totally remember meeting you as well. But I think we first connected maybe at, the Andy Beck tournament. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes sense, Chris. I think uh, you know at the time the Andy Beck was a really big, really big tournament uh, held in San Antonio. Um, 
you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, we haven't held that tournament together for whatever reason, but back in the day, that was a, San Antonio had a, a really, you know, strong team and strong presence uh, in the league. And that was a, that was a great tournament. It brought teams in from all around the country and it was, it was legit. A lot of fun. Yeah. Was that, wait, Dave, or I'm sorry, Steve, was that San Antonio or was it Dallas? I want to say like, didn't the sidekicks from Dallas, weren't they hosts of that one? Man, I feel like, uh, or maybe both. Maybe it was a joint thing because mm. I feel like it was in San Antonio for for whatever reason. But again, man, all this stuff starts to get a little foggy <laughs> when you've been playing this long. So, yeah. Was uh, did, did you play with Brad Upton Road as well? I did, man. I did. Brad was, man, you want to talk about uh, a bullet. You know, David Bynum was absolutely big and strong and fast, but Brad up to Grove was on a whole different level, man. That guy was a uh, great teammate, great guy. Had a lot, had a, have a uh, lot of fond memories with him on and off the court. So I'm going to uh, refocus us a little bit towards like, as you got going with uh, your, your team in Houston and at what point did you start to realize you're getting pretty good at this and that you should try out for USA? So I think my first go with USA was um, around 97, 98, okay. something like that. I mean, I, you know, again, the game has changed so much, uh, not just the game itself, but the equipment. I mean, dude, I remember <laughs> us playing in our everyday chairs, bringing our washers to camber out the wheels. You know, the bungee cords. I mean, this is all stuff that Chris will remember as well. It was insane. Um, but it was, yeah, it was around 97-ish uh, that that's when I was like, okay, I, I think I'm starting to fill my roots a little bit and uh, starting to show out. Again, I was I was young, so I was uh, probably thought I was a lot better than I actually was, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it was it was a really cool experience trying out for uh, for USA, being part of that for for a while. I remember just being so distraught when uh, when I was on the '99 team and didn't make the Sydney team, and uh, just remember being just you know heartbroken. But man, that was that was a great team. So golly, you can't. Yeah, yeah, it was Reggie and, and Wendy and that whole crew. They were just golly. He was he was a great coach and just a, a really great team. Cookie, you were you were on the ninety six no. It was we talked about this the other day. Ninety six was the exhibition year and there was the bombing yeah. and you weren't able to make it at that point. Right. No, they only took eight athletes and uh they had two Two coaches, so there was only 10, 10 beds for us in the 96 in Atlanta. And we got that information on Saturday of the tryout. And I remember I remember looking over at Angelo Monjovi and going, uh-huh. uh-oh, this is not good for us. But the bottom line is, yeah, I, I believe I was ninth or 10th on an eight-man team. So you talk about distraught. It was very similar feelings. I was like... Damn, but um, 
what you were just talking about uh, actually brought something up for me. So Reggie was a coach in – were you on the team in 98 when they went to New Zealand? I was I on the 99 team that went to New Zealand. Yeah. Okay, 99. Okay. Yeah. All right, and then 2000 was Sydney, obviously. Yeah. So my question is, was there a 1-5 on that team that went to to uh, was that Bill Renji? Yeah, well, Bill Renji made yeah yeah Bill Bill Renji made the made the Sydney uh, team and okay. well like Bill was well established and really a smart player and gelled well with uh, with the guys that that made the team. You know, obviously Bill's a Bill's. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I've got a lot of respect for him. Steve, I have often thought about this. Do you think one fives in some ways kind of get the short end of tryouts? Have you thought about that? Um, man, it's a it's a tough role to play. It is you're right on that. You know, you're a low pointer, but yet you maybe have some skill set to be, you know like a two. So it, it, it's a really tough role to play, man, unless you have, you know, now you're seeing a lot of high lows, um, mm-hmm. to where you've got a couple of threes and a really solid 0. 0.5. That's a, that can be a really nice line or, you know, three, five, two, five, one, five, point five. I mean, you can, it, it just, just depends on the mix, man. It, it really does. And, uh, so, Long answer, short of it is I, I think being one five's uh a pretty tough role to, to play at that level. Yeah. I, I remember like early on uh camps and USA tryouts and whatnot, there yeah. were I mean Buddy Walkster made it as a one five from San Diego, I believe. Anyway, that was in ninety four, but prior to that there was never a one five on a USA team. And, you know, you came along and, and then there was, you know, Bill as well and Earl, Earl Bowser. Earl Bowser and was, we had many of them. He was a beast. He was great, I, you know. But yeah. it, was, it was difficult to make the team and they often only took one. And, you know, now Adam, you know, Scutaro has been on several teams over the last eight years, six years, something like that. But I'm just saying that that, that number – I think didn't get a lot of look until relatively recently. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I I would agree with that. Um, You know, again, I think that's part of the evolution of the game too, and the function of the game too. Um, Because as you get more function, the higher point values, you can allow for, you know, one five that's, that's, you know, able to, to balance that well on the court so right right and you've always played on texas teams correct i have yeah so we we started out we were the pasadena hurricanes and uh yeah yeah back in the day that that was uh that that's where we got our start and then eventually we um were fortunate enough to have tier come along and offer sponsorship and I want to say that was probably around 90, I don't know, 95, 96, something like that. And, and by the way, what does TIRR stand for? T-I-R-R. Yeah, the Institute for Rehabilitation and Research. 
So okay. it's, a, it's a it's a prime spinal cord injury rehab here in Houston. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's among the best, if not the best. It's it's definitely right one of the best. It's top five, I believe, in the nation. Yeah, and I remember, I think. Was it? Did they show? Did they show Tear in in Murder Ball, or were they showing Shepard in that? I can't remember. I think it was Shepard. Okay. Yeah. 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 Shepard's Atlanta, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Because they showed right. Zupan going in and uh, showing yeah, a young. That was Shepard, right? Yeah. Okay. Shepard, yeah. Gotcha. And that young man wouldn't get out of his chair. He just wanted to hit something. Yeah. He did. <laughs> Uh-huh. Was Wendy Gumbert involved with Cheer as well? Not that I know. That was more San Antonio? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. Me, I think, was more involved with like Warm Springs in, uh, in yes. San Antonio. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. At the time. So, yeah. Man, you're bringing back a lot of stuff. I'm surprised. <laughs> and so much of this is foggy, but it's kind of kind of cool to think back on it. Don't ask me what I had for Brexit, but I have a lot of memories for early rugby stuff. Which is awesome. I mean, we don't always get to that when we're doing this show, but it's like, I think we found the right guy to bring up these memories because there's going to be a lot of folks out there that listen to this. Just like when we had Brad Mickelson on, like it was our, our highest listened to show because there's, there's an appetite for back in the hey, day. Come on, man, Nicholson, one of the best of all time. Credit him so much for you know bringing the sport to the states. And I've had the right. honor of actually playing with Nicholson and being coached by Nicholson. So wow, yeah, I've learned from a lot of the greats in the game, man. That's awesome. So tell yeah. us about after '99. So where does your journey go at that point? Yeah, so 99 um, was a highlight. We, we ended up going to uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. We won gold um, pretty handedly. So it was really, man, what an honor, what an experience. I'll never forget it. And then, you know, the excitement for, uh, for Sydney was, a, you know, a short transition from 99 to focusing now on trying to make the, uh, the Paralympic team. Um, you know, I, I, again, I was, I was relatively young when I didn't, when I didn't make the Sydney team. I, I know that looking back, I probably would have handled myself a little bit differently. Um, you know, again, I was immature and, uh, again, thought I was probably better than I, than I actually was. And so <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I didn't let it like defeat me. Like I used it as motivation to continue to kind of put in the work. And so I stayed part of the USA, you know, wheelchair rugby uh, program. Um, and eventually I got another shot and, you know, as part of the team that went to, um, went to Sweden and that was part of the murder ball documentary. So I, I was on that team and that was, that was really cool. I was one of the OGs even on that team. So <laughs> I'm not a camera guy, so I didn't speak a whole lot or have much to do. But you'll see me in the, you'll see me in the team huddle and you know on a few plays here or there from from that documentary. But that that was really a cool thing. So those those were my two stints. Although I think I finished uh, 
with international play somewhere around uh, 06, 07, something like really? that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So, That's awesome. So I have a question. In during Murder Ball, were you in the poker game where they had no. all those comments? When you, no. you weren't featured, but were you in it? Uh, I was not. I was probably in the room, but but I was not part of the game itself. Yeah, yeah, that was pure comedy. Listening to the back and forth and talking about all the all the all the stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun though. <laughs> Other non-camera guys from Murderball were like yeah. Steve Pate yeah. and Clippy Chun, For and sure. yet they were absolute studs on the court. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, what's, what's crazy is, you know, so thinking about Cliffy, because, again, I played against him, and I remember how much of a beast he was. Oh, my God. Uh, what's wild, though, Chris, is I thought about him during the World Games at low point because Japan had two low pointers that I swear had the exact same function Really? And they were one five. Obviously, they're one fives or low pointers. And mm-hmm. I do kind of wonder, you know, in today's classification system, what Cliffy would have graded out as. Oh, I now mean, he's like a point five, right? Uh, <laughs> Everything's so watered down. It's like, I'm not, I'm not sure you like a, a bit. But, but maybe a one five, like legitimate. Right. Well, he had a full trunk. Uh, right. So. Yeah, I wonder. That's a very good point. Oh, uh, Cliffy, want to come play some ball? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that first guy time was- I saw, where this is the total tangent, but first time I saw him was on the tennis court, and he was thirteen, and he was unbelievable. His side to side and getting to everything. I was like, and I had to play against him. I'm like, are you kidding me? And but anyway. And then I see him in rugby, and now he's like 15, 14, I don't remember. He was young. And and I was like, I, I just kind of want to be your father. Can I just be your daddy? And, you know, uh, and, and he uh, laughed he about was, that. He, he was your dad. I think he did he make the Paralympic <laughs> team at 18. He was like 18, I think. Yeah, and no, he was amazing. Wow. And incredibly that, modest, cool. and yeah. That, that's the cool thing about Again, I'm an OG. It's really cool because I've gotten to play with so many uh, players that are the greats of the game. Goldie. Right. Dosors. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, come on, man. Uh, Troy. uh, Right. Girk. I mean, really, Rick Draney, Mike Wyatt. You know, just – and then now playing with this new crop the newest crop of <laughs> athletes. It's just, it's really been a cool journey, man. Who's, who's the favorite player that like through your entire career, your favorite person to work with, your favorite person to play with, man, that's a really, man, you're putting me on the spot, but yeah, I am. Um, my <laughs> favorite, my favorite top three person, uh, to play with, is uh, number one, Alan Bailey. He's not a, he was uh, my coach and my teammate, but man, you want to talk about an absolute, um, 
Yeah, I I didn't have too much of my father in my life growing up, but he was like a uh, father figure to me and taught me, you know, a lot of things. And so Alan Bailey, uh, you know, on the international scene, golly, man, I would say like Kirkland, you know, Kirkland, we were roommates uh, often on, uh, on the USA teams and just being part of, watching him and how he worked and prepared. And, uh, he, he was somebody that I really looked up to and actually still do. Like I, you know, he's still such a big time player in this game. And then, you know, probably like David Bynum again, man, just an all around great guy that, uh, great teammate worked his tail off you know, put the team first, you know, and, you know, sad to say, I, I wasn't always that guy. I wasn't uh, early on again, being kind of cocky and immature. I was, I was, uh, I, I can say that I was a me guy, man. And, you know, it, it took me a little while. It wasn't until I was coached by Steven Scott, uh, yeah. Hall of Famer. Again, I've, I've been around so many of these grades and, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was it and he set me right. And, and, yeah. uh, part of the, part of the starting line and he came in as coach and immediately benched me. And that gave me a, <laughs> gave me a, uh, you know, a great lesson that I didn't, didn't appreciate then, but, you know, it, it brought me back down to earth. And I think that that's what I, that's really what I needed. I needed a coach to, to do that. So that's awesome. I was just going to say, uh, real quick on Steve Scott. Steve Scott was, I believe Guillain-Barre and he had full trunk and it was a class two. And before when they had three, two, one at a Dallas and he, <laughs> He was a, just a stud, and oh. and he was he, he was a leader. He was an absolute leader on the court. Everybody really listened to him, and I, I you know I didn't really know him as a coach, more as a player and going up against him. And um, we we had to triple him. I mean, he was crazy good. But the point I was going to make is, we you know when you have that moment, you think you're all that, and then somebody who's been all that tells you hey you know what young man you need to uh take a moment and back up and i'm just imagining that whole thing because steve scott had he was very well respected and uh, how did he do it exactly what did he say to you oh man i i don't i don't even remember i just remember being shocked yeah you know that again been such a big part of the Houston program and then to be told, Hey, you're going to, you're going to take a seat. You're going to have to earn your way back onto the court. Cause you know, it was, a, it was so much of a, uh, man, I, I, I now I'm, I'm totally the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm totally team, whatever's best yeah. for the team. That's, but I just wasn't at that time. And right. so yeah, and I sat, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a very eye opening, and it taught me 
some humility and, uh, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it. That's cool. I think long run, I became a much better player because of that. Um, So that's awesome. Life's lessons, you know? Yeah. I bet that helped you as a coach and you know, you, you learn things like that. And then, I mean, maybe we can segue right now into coaching the low point team and how all of these things lead up to your destiny. Cause, uh, I, you know, I had my own issues with health stuff going on, but when I heard that you got that position, I was like, this is the right dude. And I was very, very happy for you. Oh, wow. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, you know, what an honor. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can coach at a USA level, uh, um, international level, but especially for your home country, like, wow, what an honor. And not, not just that. I mean, the, the athletes that tried out, the low pointers across the league that tried out, and then, you know, ultimately the team that, that we assembled. Just really proud of our, our group, man. We put in the work. We, you know, we, we went into it somewhat blind because we'd never competed uh, internationally on, on, on such, a, such a big stage uh, in terms of low point rugby. And all I knew that it was that we were going to work our tails off. You know, I was really fortunate to have, uh, you know, Sarah and uh, Rita and Dan and, and for a short while even Mike as part of the low point staff. So I really credit them. Um, but we put in the work as a low point team and, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say, although we didn't perform well overall at the competition, we got better every single game and we came so close to, uh, winning our last game against Switzerland. And Switzerland is a really well-established low-point team. They've been doing low-point rugby for a long time. Long time. A long time. And uh, so I, I was proud, man. I, I, I uh, you know, as, as a coach, that was one of my, um, one of my highlights is being able to, to, to be part of something uh, that was new and at that level. And it's something that you know, I'm really hoping to kind of continue to be part of and, uh, you know, to, to work toward getting USA low point rugby to, you know, the next step on the international hierarchy of low point rugby. So, well, you know, you and I played on a low point team together. I remember it was great. Yeah. It was, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but take us through how selections went, how um, the team came together and camps, because I think people like to know and it's because the low point thing, it is new. And yet um, to see these guys who normally don't handle the ball, most of them, and, and see how it developed. I just I think it's a great um, part of our sport that's only going to grow. Well, it is. I mean, WWR, um, you know, there are plans in the works already to have, you know, low point uh, wheelchair rugby 
on an international stage, like a world championships uh, for, for low point rugby. So I don't know when, but I know that that's in the, in the plans. Um, mm-hmm. So as far as selection goes, we, you know, we put out a, uh, you know, a notice that, that we were going to invite, uh, you know, 40 athletes, give or take. And, and we did that and players could petition very much, very similar. I think, I think we tried to mimic the USAWR, uh, model of selections. So we did that. We had an actual tryout camp where, again, man, there were a lot of the same metrics that were used, uh, timing, you know, uh, you know, the diamond test and, you know, ball drills and passing and chair skills. And I mean, we really, you know, tried to make it as, uh, as fair and as high level of, uh, of a competition as we could, could possibly make it. And, you know, ultimately we, you know, we got down to, I think 12 or 13 athletes with uh, eight ultimately making the, the world game squad. So, uh, you know, the camps were camps were like uh, USA level camps. You know, we went there, there were specific things that, that we worked on. And um, again, as a, as a staff, I, I just was really proud of the work that, that we put in because we took it, Again, although our record didn't show it, man, we put in, uh, we put in, so we, we went all in with our heart and, and mind and body, man. We just, like, we, we really uh, cared. And I think uh, the athletes knew that. And we, we had each other's backs. And, you know, we, we did our best. And at the end of the day, if you prepare, you do your best, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I can look myself in the mirror. Look, and I'm not going to lie. I had tears after some of those games just because, um, you know, again, I care. And, uh, I wanted it so badly for, uh, for, for the guys that, that put in all the work and, um, uh, but, at the end of the day, again, I could look myself in the mirror and say, hey, you did your best, and that's right. all, all you can do. So. That's huge, I, man. I love that answer because so many people just judge the whole thing by W's and L's, and yet, you know, I mean, you, you got A, put in the work, and B, um, clearly you do care. I, that answer says it all, and that's really cool. So here's my question. This is a softball. How many of your athletes are trying out for USA right now? Yeah, so really proud to say, I believe uh, eight. If I'm not mistaken, there are eight names that were part of the USA Low Point team um, that are on that roster or on that invite list. So really proud, man. Really, really proud. That's sweet, man. Yeah. Love it. But I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, did you have a moment where you're like, wow, some of these folks might have that 
that it factor that could get them to the next level? Like what, what happened? Like, what was that huddle like when, when you got together with, you know, Sarah and Dan and Rita and you're like, Oh my gosh, we've got something really special here. Yeah. I mean, the team was really cool because yeah, you, you do see that. Um, you know, you've got guys that are, we were fortunate enough to have a few guys that were part of USAWR, you know, Matt, Matt Milstead, mm-hmm. obviously a legit 0.5. And then, you know, one of the guys that was in the USA program, even when I was, who's still legit was Mike DeYoung. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so those, those two guys kind of knew like what we were getting with those guys, but to see, you know, some of these other players kind of step up. Um, it was exciting, you know, to see, a, um, you know, I'm going to brag on one of my own guys and I think he's earned it. So I'm not being a Homer here, but <laughs> you know, I've got a new guy on my team that, um, honestly, I'm our new word guy. He's been playing, I think six, seven years now. Uh, Daniel Ortiz, he's a class one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to hand off. I'm getting pretty close to my to the end of my playing career. I believe my shoulders are telling me that about every night. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm ready to to hand it off to him. And you know, seeing uh, I could see him uh, earning at least the opportunity to you know have a shot. Uh, you know, ultimately he'll. You'll have to put in the work and see how it all how it all plays out. But but definitely him, um, Seb uh, yeah. from Seattle is yeah. another youngster that I think has a huge upside. And then Mandy, the silent assassin, <laughs> I like, love it. He now now she didn't make ultimately make, and it, and it just became a numbers thing. We could only take eight players and. You know, we were trying to formulate the best combinations of four athletes on the court at a time. And, and unfortunately, it just didn't play out in her favor for this team. But she has an extremely bright future, um, I think, as a, as a low pointer. And, and uh, so be on the lookout for her. And, you know, and, and again, I'm sure I'm, I'm like, you know, Travis Baker's a, a legit one five that I could see in the USA program. Um, man, I don't want to offend any of my, any <laughs> of my, my athletes because, man, I, I might as well just go ahead and name them all that way. Because, again, they all brought something unique to the to the team. You know, a guy like Zach Bradley, my gosh, you want to talk about the ultimate teammate. Yeah, that guy emulates like what I like. If 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 I could assemble an entire team that have that that approach to playing the game and picking up your teammates, and you know, he, he wasn't a me guy at all. Yeah, he was a team guy. And uh, so anyway, uh, I'll say Joel. Was a beast. Ryan Ingleby, of course, he's uh, mm-hmm. you know he, he's 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 amazing as well. So again, just really fortunate, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our other captain, Jeremy. You know, Hannaford, who got a shot 
to play on this level, and and he really showed out, and he he really did well. He was a great leader for our team as well. So that's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about Eddie Crouch. Yeah, man, golly, that Eddie is uh, three decades later. He's still doing it, man, and still. I think he's the smartest guy on the court, man. Yes, he like, is. That guy um, is uh, is legit. You know, he knows his role as a as a point five. Um, you know, that one kind of hurt me if I'm just being honest with you because we didn't select him, and man, he was so close. Um, that was a hard phone call for him and me. I think. Um, Dude, you should have just brought him in on staff and said, hey, do you just stay on the sideline and, and whisper in my ear once in a while what you're seeing? Hey, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I definitely picked his brain a lot. Of and, course you uh, did. He's, yeah, no, I did. He knows I, what's up. I picked his brain a lot. But but here's, you know, if I'm just being being real, you know, Eddie's a, a .5 at an elite level of wheelchair rugby, and he knows his role. So yeah. – you know, low point rugby is different. And although I think he performed, golly, man, he performed at such a high level, always does. Um, you know, it just uh, just didn't go in his favor uh, this go round. But I have all the respect in the world for Eddie, man. Yeah. Uh, here's a question for you. Like, guys like Eddie, guys like you, why... I'm not How? Eddie's class. So <laughs> I, I appreciate you putting my name in with uh, with with Eddie. I really do. Like, yeah. That's an honor to even like say that. Um, but again, I, I'm not on that level. So, all right. Well, let me let me change the question a little bit. How do you, starting to play the game, late '80s, early '90s, what has been your secret? for staying not just in the sport, but at the highest level. There's never been a point where, like, since I've been with the league, where I've seen tier below top 10. And you've been playing for years. What's your secret, man? So I'll I'll share my secret sauce. Somebody asked me this recently. And I'm going to go back to my rehab stint when my doctor said, do not play that sport because you are going to blow up on your shoulders. I remember her telling me this, <laughs> Dr. Clearman. She said, do not do this. You are going to blow out your shoulders. And of course I was a hard headed teenager. I started playing, got stronger, got confidence, started living life, got more confidence. I started lifting weights early on because mm-hmm. I, I was a skinny guy growing up, skinny. <laughs> and my body said, no, you're not. You're not going to lift weights. And so although I was hard-headed early on, at least I listened to my body early on. Mm-hmm. So my honest opinion is do a bunch of cardio, do a lot of chair work, maybe add five. 10 pounds under your chair, but I attribute me not doing a whole lot of heavy weights as to why 
I'm I still am pretty healthy. And look, man, we pick our bodies up and transfer and do that. That's weightlifting enough. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, of course, you know, stretching and moderation is a really big thing for me when it comes to mm-hmm. the diet. Um, and I exercise. I mean, I, I mean, I, I push pretty much every day. And so I, I'm a use it or lose it kind of. That's kind of my approach. So I'm, I'm almost afraid. Like, I don't think I'll, I won't stop playing, um, you know, or practicing or, but that's because I'm, I'm afraid to, that if I stop, I'm not going to, not going to be as healthy and happy and active and as I am right now. So my secret sauce is just staying active, not lifting weights, man. I, I, I firmly believe that by not doing that, I have uh, added many years onto my playing player career. Then on that, I've been, well, 34 years later, I haven't lifted heavy weights since my first or second year. I can't remember who gave me this advice, but it's like your tendons and your joints and all of that. I mean, they'll handle it while you're young, but if you do a lot of reps and you do a lot of cardio and you're doing stop start in your chair and trying to get from point A to point B as quickly as you can, I'm talking about low pointer stuff right now. And maybe, you know, you've got some quite a bit more function than me, but it can do damage to your um, tendons and your joints and so forth. And rather than do that and try and bulk up, because that would make me slower anyway, and I'm plenty slow enough <laughs> and but the point is it's knowing knowing your body and understanding what you're what's yeah. good for you and i think you hit it on the nail yeah yeah that i uh again at least i was smart again i was really hard-headed but at least i was smart enough to listen to my body and i still do like if i, right. if I you know have uh discomfort or or have something that I feel like is nagging, I, I'll back off a little bit and let it get better, and then I'll slowly try to re-engage. So. Totally off topic here, but it came up the other day. Do you know of the uh, that show that came out um, a while back called Friday Night Lights, Steve? Yeah. Okay, yeah. were you in on that? Were you in on that one was. as well? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, we so. did a... Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool, uh, being part of that shoot. Uh, yeah, okay. the, the we seen. Yeah, that was in San Antonio as well. It so, was okay. So or, it supposedly it takes place in Texas. I saw yeah. Gumby on the sidelines. I saw a few oh, yeah. other people I recognized, but I, I really didn't know their names. I was actually looking for you. I don't know that I uh-huh. saw you, but it's like it's like season well, ugly, one. Man. Like, I, I may not have made the cut. You know. <laughs> It was like season one, episode seven and eight. It's all rugby. Tell our listeners here, check it out if you can. It's on like Netflix yeah. or something. But it, it was very cool to see rugby, you know, in Texas on a mainstream, you know, Hollywood show. And, and it was just cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It was really cool. We got to meet so many of the cast members and they were awesome. And, um, of course, it was cool 
knock him around a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. So the kid that has a spinal cord injury in the show, he's a quarterback, and you know they show him, you know, trying to not use his hands, and he did a pretty good job. Yeah. I thought, but in the chairs they had him using were not even close. I mean, uh-huh. you know, he had metal push rims, and I could go on and on, but. No, I, I think it's cool. Like, uh, I think there was also an episode of uh, CSI. Was it CSI was. New Orleans? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I was not part of that one, but yeah, really, really pretty awesome to see. You know, quad rugby, wheelchair rugby, kind of getting a getting some uh, some Hollywood action. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool. You've seen how the sport has evolved over time. You've seen it grow, yeah. like whether it's, you know, the changing of the chairs. And honestly, I'm getting a bit of that from um, from Terry Vineyard's uh, stuff on, on yes. Facebook. Yeah. It's really been cool because <laughs> otherwise I I haven't been a witness to all of this. Yeah. And it's it's always been I mean I think the 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 oldest thing I've seen is like, you know, metal, metal, uh, spoke guards and the yellow spoke guards. Um, that's how I know a chair is old, but it's like, you guys were there when, you know, I think cookie, you were talking about putting, uh, a, uh, a football helmet face mask on the front of a chair and, you know, guys and gals, putting together their, their chairs in different ways and seeing if the equipment committee would allow it. And then talking with the manufacturers and getting I, new I different things. Speaking of uh, spoke guards. So obviously part of the, the rule was, is that you have to have a spoke guard and uh, this, this will take you back, Chris. So Bart Dotson. Right? Oh yeah. The quad crushers. He and Eddie. Go on. Eddie, yeah, and I don't know. You can't forget Eddie, but they were part of. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how many national championships they won, but they had. You know, Wayne and they. They just had a great group. But I remember Bart testing the limits because Bart pushed with the spokes. So yeah, they would tape them. up their hands. Remember? Yeah, they yeah. Take like an hour thumb, to get taped up. His thumb yep. would be out yep. where he could. He could. You know, whip it. He could use the spoke to propel mm-hmm. himself. And he, he had spoke guards on, but they were the smallest spoke guards in the middle of the, like right around the hub. Right. So it wasn't, but letter of the law, he had a spoke guard. And so that's when I think the league finally was like, okay. No, they made a rule you had to have a full spoke guard because yeah. of that. That's right. So, so understand this, Mike. Here we got a guy that came from track, Bart Dodson, mm-hmm. and he was a class one. And they had Eddie Crouch, point five. They were both on the Tennessee quad crushers. And they ran three, three, I think three, three, five, one, point five. But they also had Cliffy. But anyway, the point of this is they would tape up their whole hand and only leave the thumb out so that they could get in at the top of the spokes yeah. and they were literally pushing with their thumbs never touching and it was effective but the other part chris was they could bump the heck out of that ball 
and they had threes and three fives that could go out and get it. And Bart Dodson, right. he was like one of the best. He would just bump it over the top, and you know Wayne or Lee would go out there and get yeah. it. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So totally. So who yeah. was who was the the biggest innovator throughout your career that <laughs> that made the biggest changes and the biggest impact on the modern game? With with just equipment, just equipment right well, now. I got to go with my guy Barry Ewing. I mean, yeah. I mean, our our entire team. He came to Houston when we were the Pasadena Hurricanes, and you know, that's when we made the switch from playing in our everyday chairs to playing in the Eagle Sports chairs. And uh, you know, he's still such a big part of our game. But he, let me guess, 1992. How'd you know? I yeah. So, yeah. It, like they said, it's, it's been online a lot in the Pioneers, the rugby Facebook page. But it's like it was like an arms race. Somebody came up with that term. Everybody was doing something different to try and get an advantage. Right. And yeah. and so, like the wings were happening, the pickers were being developed, and the spoke guards and. Every year there was, or every tournament, you'd see something different. Everybody was pushing the limit for sure. Because yeah. Top Ten was also a big manufacturer at that time. Yeah. In, in so it was like Top End, Barry Ewing with Eagle, and uh, Chris Peterson at Top End, and then Quickie, Shadow. They were just, it was, everybody was trying to get an advantage, and we yeah. all wanted it. Like, got to have it now. <laughs> right. But I tell you, it, the game changed significantly when, I mean, because you got, I mean, imagine this, Mike. We literally had bags of washers that we would take to tournaments. <laughs> you know, that was, that was your camber, your source toe of camber, toe in, toe out were all yeah. things that, you know, if you were off a, a little bit, it slowed you down a lot. Yeah. I mean, so all of that guessing, so to speak, um, you know, was kind of taken, taken away a little bit once the, the equipment started to be a little more refined and dialed in. And that's where you started getting well into like customized uh, chairs and, you know, this whole idea that, you know, this, this huge revolution and that's, um, you know, and that continues today with, you know, Melrose and Vesco and, mm-hmm. you know, all the other manufacturers that are. And Eagle. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and Eagle, of course. So, yeah. So in, in 92, you might remember this, Steve, uh, top end was, they had Tampa and, yeah. um, and we, uh, I believe top end was purchased by Invacare mm-hmm. and, um, we had a guy out in the Bay area that came out and said, well, we want to sponsor you guys too, Quadzilla. And so we were both with Top End. And it was like, you know, we were a rivalry. And I was like, I don't know, you know, I I don't want to be like second fiddle because they're in Tampa or they're in Florida and we're not. Yeah, the headquarters. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Brian Hansen and I flew to, to Top End and told them exactly what we wanted. And as it turned out, they sponsored our whole team and we all got new chairs and it was a game changer. Suddenly we had 
lightweight chairs that were amazing. I mean, the difference between that and an everyday chair that we're just talking about was crazy. The sport just evolved like over the two or three year period, everybody had to have one of these new chairs with all, you know, the new, whatever was legal. We wanted to push the limits. Yeah. Well, and, and back in the day, Mike, we had the, the SOA tires, the Continentals. Yeah. Continentals, you know, that, yeah, yeah. You had the Continentals, man. You were, you were legit. You know? <laughs> that was fast. Those were, yeah. But when you blew them, that hurt because they were expensive. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And now we just so. cast them aside like they're, they're nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dave, did you recently see what the chair that Sean Meredith posted on, uh, did. on that yeah. side with the two front wheels are like yeah, right together. I do. Did you yeah. have one of those? I never had one of those. No, ours was uh, whenever we got our Eagles, it was, I think it was 12 inches where the, that was the 10 or 12 inches. That was the width of the front gas. Right. I don't think it lasted more than a tournament or two. Like, no, 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 you can't have that. Yeah. That's too much of an advantage, but Illinois had it. They, yeah. I think Norm Leidick had one of those, and so did Bill Renji. And yeah. um, we went six overtime. Back then, Illinois was such a legit. Oh, program. yeah. I, totally. I, I remember traveling to Champaign, Illinois, for one of their tournaments. And again, just eye-opening. Illini, Atlanta, um, Tampa, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, you guys, uh, Quadzilla. I mean, it was... Yeah, it was it was a pretty cool time to be uh, to be in wheelchair rugby back then. Did you have like surgery? You couldn't move your neck that far side to side. Yeah, and yet you were you knew what was going on all the time, but you couldn't always see it. Uh, so, man, here, here's the deal: like I am really, really blessed and really lucky to have the function that I have. So a lot of people don't know. So I actually broke my neck at C2, C6. Mm, wow. I was fortunate enough to not have spinal damage, obviously, at C2. Otherwise, I might not be here today. So, but they needed to uh, reinforce it. So they ended up doing a fusion. From, Got it. You know, the base of the brain all the way down to like C7. And that is why... You know, that's why I have this range of motion in terms of playing the game. You know, it's what we do, man. We just adapt and try to make the best of it and um, try to um, the communication was really big for me. Like I had really good teammates that would talk to me and let me know, hey, right or left. If something <laughs> right. would, you know, I, I mean, stuff that we should be doing anyway, but they were really good at making me look a lot better than. Like I said, then I was. All right, Steve, you're gonna love this. You know what my job was? What's to that? Turn, to turn you so you didn't know when the ball was coming. <laughs> my guys were like, "Turn that dude so he doesn't know when the ball. He can't turn his neck. Just don't let him see what everybody said." Yeah, I kind of use that as motivation to not allow you guys to turn me because I was like, <laughs> okay, "I know what they're doing." I'm like, oh yeah. my god, that's but my peripheral is awesome. I have really good peripheral vision. Yes. Yeah, no, your eyes move pretty well. Yeah. So I've, I've got a loaded question for both of you guys. 
Hope you're ready for this. So what is different between the modern athletes in wheelchair rugby and we'll just say the era of pioneers? What's different about folks? Are they the same with better equipment, um, you know, just really good at adapting? Or is there something else that you guys notice as, as you've gone along in your careers? Go ahead, Steve. I got an answer, but you go first. Yeah, yeah, I, I have an answer as well. So, so, again, early on, like wheelchair rugby was, yeah, it was an outlet. It was a game. It was com- It was competition. But early on, it was a social uh, activity. Like these rugby tournaments were big time parties. <laughs> like. I'm, I'm, I kid you not. Yeah. And like, I remember going to tournaments where like you just went, the, the, the host would have big parties and, you know, all sorts of things are happening at all sorts of hours of the night. And then, you know, you get back to the hotel room at six and you sleep for an hour and then you get up and <laughs> you go play rugby. And it was like, Sounds awful. you know, so yeah, we had fun. We worked hard. We played hard way back when. And I think, you know, probably, you know, 96, the Paralympics, that was kind of when you could start to see um, it become more of a a semi-pro type uh, game to where athletes started, you know, not only was the equipment getting better, yes, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, But fast forwarding to like today, Man, I think athletes are, you know, the technology, you know, um, the, I think we have a much better understanding of, you know, how our, how our body works with nutrients and, um, than than we ever did way back in the day. Like we were just winging it back in the day. I think now, you know, we, we, you know, we have, uh, a lot more information to work with to allow us to make a lot better decisions and optimizing our, our play on the court. Not to mention, I think the functional level of athletes playing today, you know, back in the day it was Steve Pay, Brad up to Grove, you know, <laughs> Joe Sports. Those were the guys that everybody was like, Hey, they shouldn't be playing this game. Mm-hmm. No, no disrespect to any of those guys. But relative to the function that is on the court um, today, it's not even close. It's not even close, man. I agree. Well, my answer is not that much different than yours. What I was going to say is I don't know so much about the social, but I will say this. It was it was a lot of fun to go to tournaments. They used to have at, at tournaments on Saturday night before Sunday's big games a banquet. Yeah. Every Saturday night. And so it was like drinking and dancing and whatever. And, you know, and, and now you'd never see that. I mean, you get dinner, you get back to the room and cause you know, tomorrow's a big day. You got a big game in the morning. And also I, I would say that now, especially at the elite level for athletes and teams, it's a job. It's a job. Yeah. Now these guys know, 
you know, if you're on Team USA or if you're, you know, hopeful to be that elite level, you can't, you know, you can't do it halfway. You, you got to really invest yourself. And it wasn't that there was elite athletes and there was, um, yeah, but it was different. You didn't, you know, I worked out and whatnot, but nowadays it, it's a different game. People, people know, like you said, uh, how, how to take care of their bodies better, I think. And, you know, we have trainers now. Do we have trainers back then? No. I, I think it's no, just make sure you got there on Sunday and you had a few hours sleep. <laughs> right. So what would you guys like to see in the future with wheelchair rugby? What would you like to see with the league? What are like dreams and aspirations you have for the future of what we do? So I'm going to go back in time for just a little bit. Okay. So, because I, I want to go, I think we can appreciate where we are because of a look back at one time. We didn't have shot clocks, for example. Mm -hmm. And the game was really, really slow and boring. <laughs> game evolved. We put in shot score clocks. Um, I put in a proposal to, uh, to change postseason mm -hmm. because of the way that I didn't feel like that the league was keeping up with the number of teams that earned a spot to go to nationals. So I'm really proud of how, not that it's perfect. Okay. And there's still room for, again, I, I encourage anyone if they feel like they can continue to help our game get better, put an AGM proposal in and let's see, let's see where it goes. But yeah, I'm really proud of our uh, postseason and how, you know, I feel like we truly give the top teams at least a fighting chance to uh, to represent and compete. Uh, now, I think this year is going to be kind of unique with Division One, Two, II, and Three, mm -hmm. the way those are divided up. Um, so, your question was like, what do we what do we see in the future? Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's kind of scary. Like, I mean, in, in a way, um, from an equipment standpoint, and I don't know, I don't, I'm stumped from yeah. an equipment standpoint. From the game itself, you know, maybe, uh, maybe more opportunities uh, for turnovers. I feel like the game has gotten so, like, that's what I love about low point rugby. For example, like there's turnovers in low point rugby. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Okay. It's exciting. And I feel like at these elite levels, man, um, and again, good on them because they don't turn the ball over. That's, that's, that's great. But in some, in some ways it's turnovers that make the game a, a, a lot more exciting. Mm -hmm. So maybe going from a, you know, before we had a 15, Second half court. Now we have twelve. You know, make it ten. Make it, yeah, exactly. Like if we really want to push the 
you know, push the limits of the game. You know, the game's sped up so much. Yeah. Let's create more. How about how about make it ten and only give them two timeouts? Yeah. Wow. There's some turnovers coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, so think I don't the, know, man. That, that's a tough question, but uh, it is a tough question because it's like. Yeah. You guys have seen so much change over time that how do you change even more than the most rapid developing time for the sport? Right. And the game is great. I'm not knocking the game because, man, I freaking love this game. I owe this game so much because, you know, early on being a teenager, man, it's what I lived for. Again, I was 17 when I was hurt. Like, I lived for Thursday and Saturday practice. Yeah. Like though that's what got me through, let alone like learning from other guys that were going through what what I was just, you know, starting to go through. I mean, it's it's a brotherhood, man. And it's um as much as I've learned like on the court and the man I've grown, you know, into um, you know, my father, my husband, like it's, the game has taught me so much that, that has helped me off the court. And so that's why I love this game, man. And I, I just owe it so much. And that's why I'm not ready to, you know, throw in the towel just yet. And, and when I say throw in the towel, I mean, as a player, I, um, you know, in terms of coaching and stuff, I, I want to continue to to be as involved as possible. That's awesome, man. This is an area we just don't touch on enough. And both of you guys, like, have seen a lot. And you're still part of this great sport. And I think everyone who's listening owes you guys a big thank you for what you help this sport become and it's really special. And what you said really resonates with me because like in my current role as executive director, I have to tell people why they should support a sports league and a component of it is that sports make people better people, you know, whether it's, whether it's discipline, whether it's, physical fitness, whether it's the ability to work with a team, whether it's, you know, health stuff, um, all those things come from this sport. And, you know, this, this league and these teams don't exist without individuals like you guys, you know, waking up one day and saying, I'm going to start my own damn team. I'm going to get these athletes. I'm going to do what it takes to get to the highest levels of sport. And that's freaking cool. So, you know, to piggyback on that, Mike and Steve, you know, I also got hurt when I was 18 and uh, we both were, obviously we were into sports and I, I didn't find rugby or it didn't find me until I was 27. And I felt like I wasted some of my best years because I just didn't know about it. It wasn't really happening yet, yet. And 
it, it changed my life, much like you said, Steve. And I just, at this point, I want to stay involved, but I want to give back. I want, I want somehow right. to affect young people that are either injured or whatever, and they don't have that outlet or that purpose. And, and let them know, you, there is something out there for you. Yeah. So many people, I mean, look, man, um, I, I'm really fortunate to do what I do. I'm a patient advocate with 180 Medical, and I speak with rehab patients on a regular basis. And I'm kind of an, uh, I'll, I'll be meeting with a patient next week. I've already got planned. And it's really cool and empowering to go in. Again, pay it forward, understanding that right now they think their life is over. <laughs> like that is what it felt like. I can totally empathize. Like um, you feel like life's over. You just want to walk again. That's the first thing most individuals want to do yeah. uh, or, or work toward. And. You know, how cool is it that we have a, a great sport like wheelchair rugby? I'm going to call it quad rugby because that's <laughs> we need Thank to look you. That. quad rugby and to go into these rehabs where you have, you know, quadriplegics um, introduced to this really cool sport. And when they come out, you know, they take them out of those power chairs and they let them sit in a, in a rugby chair. Yeah. And it's like they start pushing around. And then lo and behold, they're at the next practice and they're pushing around a little bit more. And then eventually, you know, like Daniel, that mm -hmm. was Daniel. After he's discharged, he says, all right, hey, coach, I want to start coming out to practice. I'm like, come on. We got you. We'll get you a chair. We've got extra chairs. To sometimes you got to see it to believe it. What we do in this sport, why it's so impactful and why. So many people that, again, think that their lives might be over or that, you know, they can't have fun or compete or, you know, just live it to the fullest. And something that so I used to work at the Rehab Institute of Chicago, Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, which eventually turned into Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. And I remember when we were having initial conversations about building this new building and it is a gorgeous building, absolutely beautiful. And so many people love the energy and the light and how it's set up. Uh, my only thing I wanted more than anything in the world was to have an adaptive sports gym in the actual hospital so that, you know, someone just comes down to see what's going on. Maybe that plants the seed for later on. Maybe they have a conversation with a guy like you, Steve, and, you know, how does this turn out for me? How does my story go where I don't know what the light at the end of the tunnel is, where it's at? Is it, is it happening? And I think it was such a missed opportunity. I, I, was, I was disappointed when we... We didn't do something like that because I know the power of adaptive sports and I know, you know, a perfect example is, yeah, Danny, just come along and seeing it and 
maybe I'll give it a go. And that's, that's a big decision that can have a profound impact on someone's life. And we need to facilitate more moments like that. Well said. Steve, it's been absolutely great having you on with us. I know that Dave Menjin is, is losing out big time by not hanging out with us tonight. Uh, we were bummed out he's not here, but we're so glad we have you uh, and that we were able to rehash just so much great stuff. And thank you again for coming on, and we really appreciate you. Hey, man, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Mike, thanks for doing what you do. Obviously, Chris, great pioneer of the sport. Uh, great uh, great being part of this, man. I really appreciate it. And right on. Let's keep, uh, keep doing what we do, man, to promote this sport and show so many people out there um, what's great about what we do and go from here. Sounds good, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys.